Thanks, Phil. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Happy New Year or Happy New Year Eve. Uh, it's a pleasure, as always, to uh, share the Word of God at the uh, at 33 campus, and nice to see some South faces as well. I'm just wondering if any of the South people who came actually were at 33 that you went straight to the chair you used to sit in. Because Did any of you do that? Yeah, see, Brad, thank you. This is my chair, even though I'm not here anymore. Praise the Lord. Yes, it's wonderful. If you've got your Bibles, then please turn to Luke chapter 15 and uh, your um, mobile devices. I'm going to ask uh, our wonderful media people just to take us through the first scripture, and then, uh, then I can take over with the, with the clicker there. That's wonderful. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Notice that word, so. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So the new year is a great time for us as people and, and uh, as a society to set those wonderful things called resolutions. Those times of the year when we decide, right, things are going to be different this year. The old has gone, the new has come, I'm going to make some decisions, uh, I'm going to have one last really big meal on New Year's Eve, tomorrow the diet starts, this exercise starts, January is well known to be the most popular time of year for gyms, and the most popular or quietest time of the year for a gym is when, do you think? February. Yes, because resolutions, we start strong and then we get busy and life takes over. We want to change. We live in a culture that celebrates change, that entices us into different ways that we can change. And resolutions are a great way to do that. And you might be deciding right now, I'm not going to have any resolutions. Well, you just did. You made a resolution not to have any resolutions. You made a decision not to change. Whereas we actually should be changing. You look at the mission of Jesus Christ and everything that the scriptures are about and everything that he wants for our lives now is it's all about transformation. It's all about seeing Jesus trans, let's go back, transformation. Let's, Jesus wants to see us changed. He is not about the business of making us happy, making us feel like we're successful, making, taking all our troubles away. In fact, he will use anything, anyone, anytime in order to bring change into our lives so ultimately we become more like him. And that's called sanctification. It's the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, good news this morning. I'm going to share with you one resolution that I truly believe that if we can fulfill and commit to this one resolution in 2018, we're not only going to see radical change in our own lives, but we're going to see change in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our community. One resolution. So you're ready. Okay, good. Phil's nodding, so it's me and you, Phil. 
Okay, mate. It's going to be great. So Jesus' ultimate plan for us is transformation. And as with all desire for change, it starts with a recognition that we need to change. There's this revelation. We have blind spots. We have things in our lives where we're completely oblivious. And then Jesus will use something or say something through his word that makes us wake up. He highlights ourselves to ourselves. And many of us who are married, our wonderful spouses are also there to highlight ourselves to ourselves. Amen? My wife is wonderful at it. It's a gift. And I, and I say that in all sincerity. She's there with my, with my children this morning. She's wonderful at saying, you know, Glenn, maybe, maybe you should work on this. And somebody inside of me wants to go, no, that's not true. And yet at the same time, I know that so often God speaks to me through my wife. He will seek transformation. So as we come to this parable, parables that Jesus actually shared in the scriptures are really there to show ourselves to ourselves. There's something buried in a parable that once we see the revelation of it, it reveals ourselves to ourselves. And in many ways, it's like a a firework or a fuse. Now, in Britain, when I was growing up, we had this wonderful celebration once a year called Bonfire Night. It happened on November 5th. And it's where we celebrate uh, a, a, a guy called Guy Fawkes who nearly blew up Parliament. And so each year in Britain as children, we used to make a guy. And what a guy was is you get your wheelbarrow and you'd get some old clothes and you'd shove different things into the clothes like newspaper. And you'd, and you'd wheel this. I know what you're thinking, but this is, this is, this is a good tradition. You wheel this stuffed person around door to door in order to collect and you go penny for the guy hoping it would be more than a penny and then the person at the door would give you some money and then you collect all the money and go and buy fireworks because in Britain you can buy fireworks just like you buy a newspaper or a magazine you don't have to have a license and all that nonsense you can just go and blow stuff up using fireworks as a 10 or 11 year old kid And I remember very vividly chasing around after my friends with rockets, the ones on the sticks, and you could point at it. This is not, do not do this at home. For those who are watching, I'm not endorsing this. This is dangerous and silly. This is just a memory. There was a lot of fun, but don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do this, please. You'd hold the stick and you'd set fire to it and you could actually shoot rockets at one another. So how many of you in Britain know exactly what I'm talking about right now? Yes, how many of you have been shot by a rocket? But it's okay because our safety feature was foolproof. We'd pull our jackets over our hands and hold it like that so that we wouldn't get burnt. Completely crazy. But the fuse was the important thing. You had to time it right. And so a parable is actually like Jesus lighting a fuse. And it's going to go off. There should be an aha moment. There should be an explosion of revelation. And it might hurt. In fact, oftentimes, it causes us to go, oh, that's tough to hear. So the question is, in this parable, what is the fuse? What is the aha moment? What is the explosion of revelation that Jesus is revealing to us through this story? And in fact, these three parables all about lost things. He lights this fuse pulls his listeners in, and I wonder if there's going to be an aha moment for us this morning, an explosion of revelation that will start a change, a, a leading in, a journey towards transformation.
So let's start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. I want you to see in the first two verses, there's two groups of people. The first group are these tax collectors and sinners. These were your moral, public moral failures. These people knew they were sinners, and everybody else knew they were sinners. And they gathered around, they drew near, this version says. I like that, and immediately that's convicting to me as a pastor and as a Christian. Because I wonder whether the public moral failures in our society are willing and actually desire to draw near to Jesus' representation in the world, which is you and me. Do we as a church have a church where sinners seek us out because just like they wanted to be around Jesus, they sense Jesus in us and want to be around him through us and in us? So there's a little bit of a fuse there that goes on in my life. They liked him. You see, the parable connects with them because you could say that they were the lost. They were the sheep. They were in the second parable, the coin. And then in the third parable, they were the son, the prodigal son. They were the lost. It's easy to see the lost. It's easy to identify them. It's easy to judge them. It's easy to say, oh, I am not like them. They're lost. They are distant. They're gone. They're they're not found. They are not righteous like I am. It's easy to spot them. It's easy to drive past a beach and identify them and immediately judge and bring a self-righteous condemnation upon them. It's easy. They're everywhere. But then we also have to ask ourselves the question, who are the 99? Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They grumbled. Because this is the 99. Because if you remember, I pointed out as I was reading, it says, so Jesus told them a story. He was listening to them grumble, and so he tells them three stories, three parables and lights a fuse to see whether the 99 would actually see themselves in this story just as much as the lost and the sinners and the tax collectors would see. They grumbled. Why were they grumbling? Well, the Pharisees saw themselves as the protectors. They were the ones, they were the gatekeepers of God's law and God's practices, and they looked at Jesus, and there was one thing that really troubled them. It's that little word there, eats with them. Because you only eat with people who are friends, people you want to spend time with, people you want to be associated with. The fact that Jesus was associated with the lowest of the low, as far as they were concerned, was an absolute horror to them. So Jesus lights the fuse. They they disapproved of Jesus' friends. They were the 99. They were the 99 sheep. They were the 99, uh, sorry, they were the nine coins. They were the one brother. That's who the Pharisees were. So you have these two groups. And can I say, and I say this humbly, and I say it carefully and with conviction, which group do we find ourselves in? Are we the 99? Are we the Pharisees looking with disapproval at the things that are going on around us because somehow they don't actually fit and come into alignment with what we see as Christianity should be? So we know who the parable is directed to and Jesus has lit the fuse and there's an impending explosion of revelation for those who are willing to hear it and for those who do receive it. 
And so he goes into a story about sheep. Now, I need to give some teaching about sheep. Because for many people, people think of this when they think of a sheep. They think of this cute, cuddly, clean, wonderful animal that you would like to take home and maybe just cuddle and, you know, spend time with. Look at how gorgeous that thing is. Well, having spent a large majority of my life living in Wales and pasturing in North Wales, a more accurate uh, depiction of a sheep is actually this. This is what sheep are like. They're not cute, cuddly animals. They're things that are across the hillside all around Great Britain, and they are foul, filthy animals that stink, and they, they have habits every five or six seconds. They, they produce, I'll just say it that way, there's like a, little, like a little machine gun goes off, and then they run away, and they're horrible animals. And I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but I have spent time with sheep, and they stink, and they're smelly, and they are really, really, as we'd say in Britain, thick. They're not smart animals. And so I have to ask myself the question, as Jesus has lit this fuse, why is he likening us to sheep? Why is it that the Bible continually pulls us back to this image? Why can't we be lions? Why can't we be dogs or something impressive like a great Dane? Why is it Jesus over and over and over and all through the scriptures we are referenced as sheep? Please get that image in your mind. Huddle together, desperate for one another. You see, sheep have something very, very unique about them. When they get lost, they die. When they get lost, when they're by themselves, they die. They are not able to actually be unlooked after. Bad grammar, you get what I mean. They have to be continually shepherded in order to thrive. And so that's why Jesus enjoys and presses this picture into us and says, you are sheep, you need, first of all, one another. You know where a sheep is happiest? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. And it's interesting, you watch lambs, lambs are a lot braver, they skip around and they stand on high things, but as they get older, they just like to stick together. And there is a a huge metaphor in that. We need one another. We need to be together. But more than that, these sheep needed a shepherd because alone they will die. So what is the first revelation, the first explosion, the first thing that Jesus is lighting for us? It's that we see the lost easily, but often we fail to see that we need a savior just as much as those that are lost. The 99 needed the shepherd. The nine coins needed the lady to keep them together. The one brother needed the father just as much as the one that was lost. And friends, I want to say this gently and lovingly, but I think we forget that. I think we forget that we're in desperate need of a savior just as much as those that we can easily identify as being lost. So the first explosion of revelation, the first thing that reveals myself to myself is that I, Glenn, Pastor Glenn, of a, in a church who preaches every week and, and is kind of... Uh, uh, um, encompasses that people would see as a spiritual life. I need Jesus. I need Jesus just as much as I did when I was 17 today. I need him tomorrow morning as much as I needed him last year. We never move away from the need of a shepherd. Never. It's a dangerous place to be. We need a savior. And we know this to be true. We know that we make awful saviors of ourselves. 
we know that we desperately need help. We might not like to admit it in this culture of independence and strength, of you can be anything you want to be, but when it all goes quiet and we're just left with our own thoughts, we know that we need help. We might be really good at convincing ourselves that by ourselves we're going to be okay, but it's falsehood. Scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. This constant awareness that we need help and yet refusing to see ourselves in need of a savior. We all need a savior. We all need to see ourselves in desperate need of a savior. So a simple question for us this morning is, is that you? Are you absolutely 100% sure that more than anything else in your life, you need Jesus in your life. Whether you've been a Christian for 60, 70 years, or whether you've been a Christian for a few minutes, or whether you're in desperate need and you know that you're lost, we all need a Savior. And so Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he knew the Pharisees would see themselves as different in a self-righteous and judgment way. He said, no, you, you need a Savior. And the beautiful thing is, is the blessing of recognizing how much we're in need. I said on Christmas Eve to the South Congregation, Christians are often accused of of being weak-minded and weak and needing a crutch. And to that I'll say, absolutely. Because I'd rather run to Jesus, my Savior, than I would to the bank to bail me out. Or to something, or to my own ambition and skill and, and abilities to bail me out. Because time and time again, I have proven to myself that I make a horrible Savior. And those things that I reach out for make horrible Saviors. They always let me down. Even the ones that are closest to me. I need the shepherd. So the resolution... First and foremost, this part of resolution is this, this 2017, going into 2018, is if you make your resolution to position yourself in such a way where you actually look to Jesus in a way that is different, and you actually look to him as your only, he's your only hope, your only way, he is the way, the truth, the life, now as much as he was when you first came to know him. Christian friends, if we do that, then our lives will actually change. Compassion, love, generosity, fulfillment, and a whole host of other blessings increase in our lives. Because Jesus knows that if we see ourselves, please listen to this, if we see ourselves in need of a Savior, then our compassion for those who are lost increases. Because we don't stand in judgment against them, because what we do is we look at them and we see ourselves, if it wasn't for grace, I too would be that way. And now that doesn't lead to this self-righteous judgment and go, oh, how dare they? It actually breaks your heart so that you would pray for them. See, the Bible doesn't say that as Christians we shouldn't judge. There's righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is this. When you look at somebody who's lost and it breaks your heart to the point where you will get on your knees and you will pray for them and you will seek a way to introduce them to a savior that will actually help them. That's righteous judgment. Self-righteous judgment is, oh, let's not. How could they? How dare they? Why would they wear that? What are they smoking? What are they watching? Oh, it's disgusting. What's our culture and country coming to? That's self-righteous judgment. That's Pharisee. Jesus says, no, you need a savior because the more we recognize in 2017, uh, sorry, 2018 that we need a savior, our compassion increases and we truly live in the fulfillment and power of God. 
Many years ago, when we first came to uh, Canada, my, my wife and I, and, and we actually, Jack was very small, so I guess he was about 12 years ago, we went on holiday to Little Shoe Swap. And we rented a little cottage with some friends, and we were very excited because it was right on the lake. And again, as, as pretty, pretty new to the country, all these new experiences were wonderful. And I was excited to the point of being giddy to see, and I know you're going to look at me and go, really? But this for a Brit guy, it was really special. There was this beautiful dock going into the lake that was ours to use for a week, and a rowboat. Oh, I just had pictures of romantic kind of rowing around the lake with my sweetheart. It was great, and it was bobbing around, so as quick as I possibly could, I convinced Sarah to come with me, and let's go out in the rowboat. And so we went, and we sat in this rowboat, and we undid the thing, and I gave the, I gave the you call them paddles, we call them oars. And I think the things that the oars go into are called rollocks. Is that right? Anybody nautical? Am I right, Phil? Thank you. The, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, the metal things that the, the, uh, the paddles sit in. They, I was like, so I gave a really good tug, only for one of the Rolex just to, to fly out of its encasing. And I went flying back, legs up in the air. It was so romantic as Sarah was hilariously making fun of me, as she enjoys to do. And, uh, and, I, and then I know it's okay, well, we can, we can do this, we can do this. And we started to paddle off into the lake. But I found that, that, that one, it just kept on coming out. And so I was rowing strong on this hand and weak on this hand. And it was making this sound. Every time. And it was like, oh my goodness, this is awful. And then I saw I was just going round in circles. It was so romantic. It was lovely. Sarah crying with tears, saying, Glenn, can we go back now? No, I'm going to get this thing straight. This is going to be romantic. It just wasn't working. The whole rest of the week, I was desperate to get this thing doing what it should do, but just felt like it was miss. And then one day we decided we were going to rent Sidhu's. Oh, yes. Never been on a Sidhu in my life. Come on, Sarah, it'll be romantic. Grab your life jacket, let's go. Now, I learned very quickly that with a sidhu, there's the, there's the, really you should gradually press the throttle. I didn't know that. So Sarah is holding on to me, and I'm thinking, this is great. I'm going to make up for all the rowboat disaster. We're just going to have a nice truck around the lake, and it's going to be beautiful. And I just pushed this throttle so hard, so quick. <laughs> it was great. We just went, we just shot off. Sarah holding on, and our friends were actually videoing because they thought that I would have some semblance of intelligence to know that the throttle should be gradual. And you can actually hear Sarah's scream as we shot off across the little shoe swap, and it was brilliant. Great memory. It was romantic as well, wasn't it, love? You see, I thought as I'm flying around, this is what sea life should be. I was hunting people in rowboats. Let's go find them. It was great. It's a great picture. Because sometimes it feels like we're in a rowboat. Are you a Christian? Yeah. You're in your rowboat. Things are amiss. And you just feel like you're through life. Going round and round in circles thinking there has to be a better way. Is this what the scripture talked about when it talked about living in fulfillment and compassion and love and power? Wanting to get up in the morning and just sensing the presence of God, the sidhu, if you like, 
the exhilaration, the adventure, the joy. That's what Christianity should be like, but I'm sat in this rowboat just creaking my way through life. Is this what it's meant to be? And I want to suggest to you for all the other resolutions you could make in order to see empowerment and joy and happiness and fulfillment come into your life. You can join the gym. You can buy the new car. You can get the RRSP. You can get the new job. You can do all those things, but I can promise you nothing is in comparison to sitting on that which God has planned for us and designed for us to be as Christians, which is to sense his presence under the lordship of the Savior, the shepherd, rather than eking our way through, thinking we're all good. Thank you very much. See, transformation truly happens, and we get distracted at best in life. We get self-righteous and judgmental at worst. And Jesus knows as he's talking about this that transformation truly happens as we recognize our daily need for a savior. So our resolution daily should be to position ourselves recognizing that we may not be lost anymore, but we desperately need him. So this fuse that Jesus lights is culminating As we move through the parable, and he talks about the shepherd going to find the sheep. The fuse that we need this shepherd. You see, without him, we are more lost than we can possibly comprehend. But with him, we are more loved than we can possibly imagine. See, without Jesus... Maybe, maybe you're sensing this morning that you, you're lost. That you don't even feel like you're in the rowboat. You just feel like you, you're drowning. I have a whole other story which I won't tell you, but I nearly drowned once. It's awful. And I'm a strong swimmer. But sometimes it just sneaks up on you. You get a leg cramp and that's it. It's only by the grace of God I'm actually stood here. Some of you may be feeling like, man, just give me that boat. But Jesus says, no, there's the sidhu. And you just feel like you're drowning. Let me tell you, without him, you are more lost than you can possibly comprehend. You will never fix yourself. You will never get yourself through good moral. There's no, oh, I'm better, I'm good, God will let me in. Because what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to somebody who we think is more lost than we are. But when we compare ourselves to God himself, then we truly see ourselves for who we are. We are sinners who are in desperate need of a savior. We are more lost than you can possibly comprehend without Jesus. And that might be you this morning and you're just feeling like you're drowning, believing that somehow this life fest or something is going to appear that you can grab hold of. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new partner. Maybe it's a new opportunity or city. And then, then I will feel saved. And let me tell you, you will not only Jesus, only Jesus, because with him we are more loved than we can possibly imagine, the scripture says. And it's humbling to admit this. It's humbling, because look at this scripture. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So let me ask you a simple question. Would Jesus have allowed and been willing to sit with the Pharisees and the scribes and eat with them? Were they welcome at the table? Absolutely. 100%. 
If they had humbled themselves and seen who they were actually, if they'd humbled themselves and come to Jesus and said, I need you, then they would have been welcome to come and sit with the creator of the universe, the savior of the world. Come sit and have communion with me. But the self-righteous, equally sinful and lost, refused to sit with the Savior who loved them. Is that you this morning? Oh, I can do it. You know, I really feel like I, I can do it. You can't. You can't do it. You desperately need a Savior. And here's what I love about Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. Jesus is this woman in the parable looking for the lost coin. Jesus is the father looking off to the horizon to see whether his son was coming back. Jesus, the father, Jesus, the one who allows us to get close to the father. He is the one who is searching. Why were these things found? Was it their own suitability? Was the lost coin just suitable to be found? Was it making itself available to be found? Was, it, was the sheep determined to have the shepherd find it? It's all about the shepherd. It's all about Jesus and his love coming. And right now, I know because I believe in the scriptures that there are people sat in this room and there's this sense on your life that you know you're lost. And that's Jesus the shepherd. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work only he can do which is drawing you to him. Because lost things don't find themselves. You're lost. In our house, there's this continual search that goes on two or three times a day. In a counter in our kitchen, we now call it the charging area. Because now that we have a few young adults and iPads and everything else, we have a whole area devoted in our kitchen to charges. And any one time, you might see four or five things all plugged in. And then sometimes, and my wife gets very concerned at these times, and we all kind of shrink into the shadows, she'll go, where are the charges? There should be four or five of them, and there is none. And we all kind of go quiet, because even though we're guilty, we're not actually sure where we've taken them. And you find them in the oddest place, down the side of sofas, nowhere near outlets, Half of one in the car, the other half, you just got the plug. Because somebody's come along and looked at your device and gone, oh, they got 60%, they got loads. Let's unplug that and plug mine in. And arguments happen. There's this continual search for the lost charger in our house. Always. But it's always the seeker that finds it. It's not the charger that finds itself. And if you, as a lost person, Know that you're lost and know that you're drowning and you think that somehow you're going to find yourself. You won't. You'll just stay lost. You'll stay lost. And the other thing about lost things is I bring this to a conclusion. In the second story, the, the lady is willing to get down on her knees into the grime to find that coin. Because when you lose something precious, are you not willing to do whatever it takes to find it? Even if it means putting your hand in places you ordinarily wouldn't put your hand, like the side of the sofa. 
I mean, if that is not fearful for any of you, then clearly you don't have young children in your house still because you don't want to put your hands down the side of any couch. You are willing to go wherever in order to get something that you desperately want. What a beautiful picture of the love of our Savior. You are loved more than we can possibly imagine because Jesus was willing to come from his home to our home and then to the cross and die the most despicable, shame-filled death in order for us to be found. See, in Luke 15, it says, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Do you know there's a beautiful scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 that is well worth a good journal? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, We know that bit, but look at the next section. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does that tell me? It tells me a few things, but the main thing that shows me that the reason, one of the motivators for Jesus, not only to follow the will of the Father, the scripture says it was by his good will that Jesus would die so that you and I would not be punished for the sins that we truly deserve to be punished for. He said it's his good will for Jesus to die, but then Jesus says, for the joy set before him. What is the joy, friends? It's you and me. They would look at me, and I know who I am. And I know the struggle I have. And some people who are close to me can see it, and they pray for me. But I know what goes on. That Jesus, in his love and compassion, would come. And he'd give his life in shame, enduring the cross. Why? For the joy of finding me. Have you experienced that joy? Have you felt that joy? Christian friends, when was the last time that joy welled up inside of you because you realized that your desperate need of the Savior today was as real as it was yesterday or a few years back? Because why would we leave this place? Why would we leave 2017 without actually enjoying and experiencing and positioning ourselves to the overwhelming love of being found. And if you were lost, as I said briefly, it's humbling to recognize you're lost. It's humbling to say, I need help. You see, as we pray in just a second, I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their head, and I'm going to talk and pray specifically for you who feel like you are lost, who know that you are lost, that all lies aside, all cons aside, all kind of convincing yourself that things are different, all that laid aside, what a wonderful beginning to 2018 to be found by Jesus Christ. And daily, Christians, for us to slow down, to reflect to pray, to repent, to seek his face on a daily basis, to continually remind ourselves how desperately we need our Savior. That is the best resolution that we can go into 2018 with, that we need him. We need him. Let's pray. Father, as we just close our eyes and quieten ourselves before you now, Lord, I am praying that 
revelation is happening in this room. That, Lord, according to your scripture, I'm praying that you would draw people to yourself. That, Holy Spirit, I pray you would be speaking to people. And, Jesus, I thank you that we've just celebrated you coming to earth as a baby and living a perfect life and then dying a shameful death so that I can call you brother and friend, that I can sit and eat and have communion with you. God, I need you. I need you as a husband. I need you as a dad. I need you as a pastor. I need you as a friend and as a man. And so, Father, I pray for my Christian friends in this room now. Lord, I pray that 2018 would truly be a year of revelation. That, Lord, that we would be a place ourselves in the confession and repentance of those things we continually do wrong. And, Lord, I thank you that you continually find us, prompt us, and draw us. And we celebrate that, Lord. Lord, I pray for the Christians in the room that have strayed. That, Lord, they just feel like they're just going around in circles. Lord, as your scripture says, that they maybe have forgotten their first love. Lord, I pray you would whisper to them now. They are more loved than they can possibly imagine. Lord, I pray for the lost in the room. Lord, those that are feeling like they're drowning, those that feel like they just can't do this, Lord, those that want to go into 2018 with a shepherd and a friend and a savior, Lord, I pray you would bring conviction upon them now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. If you know, just keep your eyes closed and your heads down, if you know that you need a savior. That everything you've tried just seems to bring loneliness. Everything you've tried seems to bring failure. That you always feel empty. You feel like you're drowning. Maybe you're just doing really well in life and on the outside everybody knows, uh, thinks that you're doing great, but on the inside you know you're empty. And I am offering you the most beautiful invitation this world has ever heard. Is come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. And he died for you that your sins would be forgiven and you would have freedom. And you could be found. If that is you, then I want to pray for you. I just ask you to put your hand just quietly in the air. Nobody else is going to see. Just me and I want to pray for you. Thank you, madam. Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you there at the front, right at the back. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Right at the back. I can see you there, right in the balcony. Thank you. Oh, dear Lord. Thank you, God. First of all, God, that you seek people out. Lord, we do nothing to deserve your love and your grace. Lord, I pray for these wonderful people who've placed their hands, who've humbly said, I need help. Lord, I pray that before they leave this church, 
God, that they would come and they would receive some prayer at the front. And that, God, they would come and leave this place having been found. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What a beautiful way to start 2018, being found. God, we thank you that your word says that heaven rejoices more. (laughs) What a New Year's Eve party. Thank you for that, Jesus. Hallelujah.